good morning officially. It was a great week here. Um, it always is. And, uh, you know, even though a few things didn't go quite as we had hoped, it was still a wonderful week. And, uh, and I always, always enjoy that. And it's amazing to see the church get transformed into this VBS wonderland that you saw in the pictures. And then within like uh, th- three or four hours, it gets transformed back to back to where it is today, where you're coming into worship. So um, anyway, I, I do think we need to say a, an extra shout out and thank you to Erica and Emily and Tiffany who were on the committee, uh, Tiffany Grimsley, they were on the committee that, and all those committee members, but um, yeah, I, uh, I don't see how Erica get, got it all done this past week with not only the VBS stuff, but the stuff that has to be done for church and getting us ready for Sunday morning. So let's give them a, a thank you round of applause. <clears throat> this morning, uh, I'm starting us on a journey through the book of Colossians. And in some ways, it feels like it won't be too long of a journey because there's only four chapters. But we are actually going to split it up into six different weeks. Uh, it's not going to be six weeks in a row due to some vacations, things like that. But um, during the weeks of July and August, when I'm preaching, we're going to make our way through this book of Colossians. And so let's turn there in our Bibles together, the first chapter of Colossians. And I'm going to set the context a little bit here, um, since we're going to be in this for a while. Um, And during the message, I'm actually going to have two different readings of of the verses that we're going to have here in the first chapter. Uh, During a recent life group Bible study meeting, I asked the participants of our life group to share a memory that they had of writing letters to someone. It was an interesting conversation that we had, and um, we don't do that much anymore, really, you know, writing letters and all that with all the texting and the social media that we have. But back in the day, of course, it was popular because it was the only way to communicate some of these things. Some of the people in our group shared that they had pen pals that they would write to back in the day. Others shared about long-distance relationships that they had. And some shared about family letters that would get sent around the country with each family, as it came to them, inserting their letter with all the others, and then sending it on to the next person. How many of you had family letters back in the day that got sent around? Quite a few of you. How many of you still have a family letter that gets sent around? There's a few of you. Some of the hands went down. I think that shows the... The, the different age we are in or time we are in. My sister and her family went to Australia for the last two weeks. And um, every day she would send us text messages with pictures and an update of what they were doing in Australia. Well, they just got back a couple days ago to Texas where they live. And then yesterday, the postcard, a postcard shows up from Sydney, Australia that she had sent. And... Uh, I just thought it was interesting that they got back from their two-week trip before the postcard ever got to my mailbox. Um, and here I knew, you know, all the stuff they had done because of the texting and pictures. So it's, it's just different. Uh, but it makes me wonder sometimes uh, if Paul would have had texting and social media, how would he have used it? 
you know? Instead of writing these letters that we have in the New Testament, how would Paul have used those things that we have today? Well, this book of Colossians was actually a letter before it became a book of the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter from Rome while he was under house arrest in about 60 AD. And uh, Paul had never actually visited uh, Colossae, the town of Colossae or city of Colossae, even though he had visited some of the cities that were nearby that region. If we go back a bit further, uh, many believe that Epaphras, which is going to be mentioned in verse 9 of our uh, of our scripture here this morning. Many believe that he became a Christian when he was in Ephesus listening to Paul preach. And so he went back after he became a Christian in Ephesus, he went back to Colossae and he started the church there. And so think about that as we hear his name a little bit later on. But Epaphras then goes to Rome to visit Paul and Timothy. And uh, he shares about some of the issues that are going on back in their home church in Colossae. And so uh, this prompts Paul to write a letter to send home with him to the church there. So before we read, what was the issue that Paul was, is addressing in these four chapters? There are actually several different things that are addressed here. And we're going to look at those in the weeks ahead. But the main issue was heresy, which was similar to Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics believed that it took special knowledge, that you had to have this special knowledge in order to be accepted by God. In other words, uh, in other words they were saying that you could come to God and you could be accepted by God by just you know, accumulating as much knowledge as you could about him. They would say that, that knowledge is what qualifies you to be accepted by God. The Gnostics refused the truth that said Christ is the only way to God. So these various people were emphasizing spiritual knowledge and, and these differing spiritual practices above the teachings of Jesus and the church. I would suggest that it's not a whole lot different than what our church today, the church in general today, is up against. I mean, how many times today do we hear others claim this spiritual power or uh, talk about spiritual power or religious zeal and there's nothing said about the work of Christ or the teachings of Jesus and, and other things? You know, we live in an inclusive world today. But so often, Jesus Christ is excluded. And so, much of what Paul writes in this book has to do with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The confidence that we can have in Jesus. And the truth that Jesus is enough for us. We don't need all of these other faults. Uh, spirituality practices in which there are still many in our, our world today. And so that's why I am actually titling this series in Colossians, Confidence in Christ. We can have confidence that Jesus 
that we have everything we need in Jesus and that he accepts us for who we are as his followers. You are qualified and called by God, and we're going to get into that a little bit more here this morning in the message. So in these first eight verses, Paul kind of introduces himself and Timothy, uh, who is in, also in chains with him there in Rome. And then he, he goes on to not only give thanks for all of them back in Colossae, but encourages them in their faith. So let's read the first eight verses as we begin this morning. Oh, well, I forgot to put the... There you can see the map of where Colossae is and where Ephesus is, where Paul was preaching and Epaphras probably heard him and became a Christian. So here's the first eight verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So, I mean, what a wonderful opening to this letter this is. Barnabas, you know, in the Bible is often referred to as an encourager, but I think, I think the Apostle Paul should also be included in that because as he opens a lot of books like this one, he is so encouraging to the church. Even when there are things to be addressed, he starts out with these encouraging words for the church and the people uh, in that town. And it's almost like he's saying here, he's almost saying Epaphras has come here to Rome and he's told us about the good things that you've been doing and the hope that you have and, and the love of God and the spirit. He said, it's great to hear that the gospel is bearing fruit in your town and in, in, uh, throughout the world. And I think, you know, hopefully people would say that about our church today as well as many other churches. I think some of that, of course, is reflected within us as a body of Christ. But I also think some of that is reflected in your day-to-day -day interactions with people during, during the week. You know, when people look at you and they, they look at me, do they say, that person is a part of Arthur Mennonite Church, and they sure do exemplify the hope and love of Jesus. I hope so. I mean, we need to think about that because that really is an important part of our witness. What people perceive of us or think of us or see in us. You know, there are so many times that, that I can interact with somebody in the community or somebody when I go other places. And I can interact with them and I just sense or 
or know that they are a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus. And that's the way it should be. Your faith in God, your hope in Jesus, and your love for all should be evident in your life. And this is what Paul is referring to here when he talks about bearing fruit and sharing the good news of Jesus around the world. Now, granted, there are some days that we feel better than others. Not every day is just perfect or we feel, make us feel great. Some days we do roll out on the wrong side of the bed, as, as people like to say. But it's important that even on those days that are not so great for us, it's important that we do not allow those days or our attitude to destroy our witness for Jesus by something we might say or, or something we might do. I think we need to allow those days to maybe increase our perseverance and maybe our patience with people. In some of the other letters that Paul wrote, uh, he also speaks about those things as well when it comes to, to our faith. But these are encouraging words from Paul here to the Colossian church. And then in verse 9, he starts to address this heresy that I was talking about. And he actually addresses it even without mentioning it in, in his writing. At least not yet, he doesn't mention it. Instead of starting with the negative, he starts with the positive attributes of faith in Christ. And so let's read those verses, verses 9 through 14. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the scripture gives or that the spirit gives so that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. These verses may not seem like much of an approach to correct the heresy. But what Paul does here really is incredible. Because he approaches the negative by first reminding them of the positive. In other words, he proclaims in these verses that believers, followers of Jesus, are <coughs> rescued, <coughs> redeemed, and were even remade. In Christ, we are moved from darkness to light, he says. We are given strength and endurance and patience. And I love that word qualified here. I used it, of course, in the, the message title for today. We are qualified to share in the inheritance. And we are qualified to tell others about it. Too often, I think, followers of Jesus are too timid. 
We're too timid in sharing the good news or, or talking about Jesus. Because often we don't think that we know enough about the Bible or maybe that we're qualified enough to answer the difficult questions that somebody uh, might have. That's just not true. It's, it's really not true. Now, if you, if you go to the doctor or you're going to have surgery, of course, you want to make sure that they are qualified to do the surgery on you, right? You just don't want anybody doing that surgery. Or if you're going to get on an airplane, you're going to fly somewhere, you want to make sure that the pilot is qualified to fly that airplane, right? I mean, that's, that's common sense. But what this reminds believers of here is that Jesus has qualified you as a witness of his good news. You know how Jesus can deliver a person from darkness to light. You know that. You know how Jesus can bring strength and endurance and patience. You know how Jesus has rescued and redeemed and remade you. So, you are qualified, and actually you're called to share that good news with others. And so, you know, when we see family, and we see friends, and we see co-workers, and maybe fellow students at school who are lost, who are, are needing to be saved by Jesus, what is our response? I mean, do we, do we just stand by and, and hope that they find Jesus? Or do we do something about it? I thought of this recently when I watched my wife, Rhonda, save the life of a fish. You heard that right. She saved the life of a fish. Here's the story. We were uh, out at her brother's pond which we are going to go to next this later this month in a couple of weeks. And uh, he has this swimming mat that's out in the middle of the pond. Uh, it's out in the deepest part. Uh, so, you know, people can take a rest from swimming and just lay on this mat and get some sun or whatever. So as we sat under the pavilion, which of course is some, some hundred or more feet away, we noticed that this fish had jumped up out of the water and onto the mat and was just frantically flipping, uh, trying to get back into the water. And it would flip for a while and then just lay there and then it would flip some more and it kept trying and trying to get off of that mat and get back in the water to survive. So we watched it for a little bit, hoping that it'd find its way. But after a little bit, Rhonda couldn't watch it any longer. (laughs) She had to do something about it. And so she's headed out there and she swam out to the mat and she pushed that fish off of the mat and back into the water. You know, we talked about being heroes for God this past week at VBS. And to that fish, Rhonda was a hero. (laughs) But after she did that, I I really, I I did think about this. I had to think, as I watched her do that, I had to think of that in terms of saving people. Do we just stand by and hope 
that people will find Jesus and be saved for all of eternity? Or do we take a step or do something to actually make sure that it happens? Now, of course, they have to receive the good news for themselves. That's not something we can do for them. But as Christians, we shouldn't just stand by hoping that a family member or a friend or a co-worker or a student at school um, 